Yellow, and this is the Colors Podcast. In today's episode, Blue and Yellow break down the film The Last Black Man of San Francisco, and we talk about its major theme of gentrification with guests Purple and Magenta. Without further ado, let's get it. Uh, I'm ready. <sighs> I think. You ready? Yeah, just a lot of questions. <laughs> You're our resident film expert, that's why. Am I? Yeah. Oh, dang. Uh, I'm going to do my interpretation of the soundtrack. Okay. I wish you could see the look that I'm giving her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was just so musically, it was really diverse. We're talking about the last black man of San Francisco. Y'all. Yeah. The music, it just, it had, you know, the strings mm-hmm. and the horns and it just meshed so beautifully. Um, it was like another character. It really was. And it added so much intensity and mm-hmm. depth to the film that I just didn't really expect. Um, and the first song, it's called, I think it's called Jimmy's Song. It's only like a minute long. And, you know, that was the song that really sort of resonated with me. And it really, it just really made me reflect upon the beauty of the film. And um, and you're absolutely right. Like, it really does add a lot of dimension. Um, and it's like another character in and of itself. And it's... But let's go into the plot. Let's yeah. Go into what, what happened in the movie? So... What had happened was... <laughs> what had happened was... <laughs> Okay, so the synopsis of the story, it's really revolving around um, two characters. And uh, it revolves around the character called, J- his name is Jimmy Fails. And um, he continually comes from the outskirts of San Francisco into um, SF proper. And he always goes into, he's, he goes into this house, which is, we realize is his former house. Um, and he continuously fixes it up you know, cares for it, maintains it. And then you kind of see the owners coming in and, you know, they throw, like, food at him because they want him to get off their property, which he does not. I forgot about the food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, and then the guy's like, oh, my God, that pepper was $3. You can't throw that at him. <laughs> I was like, this is SF all the way. Sheesh. But, um, but then also, while this, this, like, maybe, like, grieving or love story between <coughs> Jimmy and his house is happening. There's also the other story of Montgomery or Mon- I think he calls him Monty for mm-hmm. short. Um, and he's developing his play. Mm-hmm. His first like play that he's going to be performing in front of people. So okay, keep that in mind. Yeah. And so he, I mean Monty is also very artistically talented not only sort of within the realm of writing but also in drawing as well. And you can kind of yeah. see that in his sketchbook when he kind of maps out like where he wants or what he wants things to look like Mm -hmm. or like when he tries to capture something Mm -hmm. he does so in his notebook which i think is a really great way to kind of jot things down and also sort of seems to have the ability that jimmy doesn't i think monty has this ability to to move on from the past Mm -hmm. and like and zone out the 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 bs the bs Mm -hmm. perfect example it would be the group of guys that hang out in front of monty's house that are always shit talking everybody Mm -hmm. and like saying these horrible terrible things and (laughs) monty's just stepping along with his Mm -hmm. happy peppy self um so i think monty is kind of the side of jimmy that jimmy won't allow himself to be Mm mm-hmm but it, it makes sense why they're such a perfect pair. Yeah, Kind of for very sure. harmonious in that way. And it was even shown when they were at that skateboarding scene where oh they're going gosh. down <laughs> the street and they're just like sandwich paired together, just yeah. rolling down. It was so cute. And like 
they, uh, honestly, that's not practical. It's not <laughs> like mm-hmm. this is not your ideal form of transportation, but they couldn't keep waiting on the bus because like news alert, California has terrible public transportation. We have public Even transportation. <laughs> <laughs> I love how you said we like you still live there. I mean, you know, through one's, and a, through. one's a California girl, all is a California oh. girl. Ha. <laughs> I got to cut that out. I'm sniffing that. <laughs> so um yeah i think the movie essentially <coughs> details the love and loss of jimmy's home but speaks larger to the issue of like people bu- people being pushed out of their homes before they're ready it's not a choice that they're mm-hmm. they're actively making um they even show the effects of this even more with the um it's like the nuclear waste and that's right right and they're cleaning up like the waterway right but that's where like they're getting pushed out to is this Mm -hmm. area that's not safe to be living in Mm -hmm. um and so later on we're going to be talking about the 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 effects of being pushed out by rent uh uh, rent control and things like that we're going to be talking about that later with our guests um so um you'll get to hear from them and their personal experiences with gentrification as educators and as people who live in this city and technically all four of us are gentrifiers if we really want to talk about it let's be real real um so yeah more about that later it's your girl yellow if you missed the last podcast here's a little clip of what we talked about last time and so you know aquafina kind of or Billy goes through these different stages of like, you know, denial and like how she's really reluctant to go through with this because in America it would be illegal. And so there's these juxtapositions of like Western values versus Eastern values and um, how sort of the family dynamic plays into that. And for me, it's, it's, it's huge because, you know, as an Asian American within this really sort of polarizing differences of values I find myself kind of stuck squarely in the middle where I kind of resonate with those western values where we kind of focus on individuality but on the eastern values as well where you know your responsibility is not only to yourself but mostly to your family like you are a part of a whole like you're just not a whole yourself which is not necessarily downplaying your significance but just that you are part of something more which I think has more value mm. in some sense. Right, right. Um, yeah, so this movie, <laughs> it, it was really emotional because... You saw yourself in her. I saw myself in her, and then I saw my mom in, in Nai Nai because, you know, my mom was also diagnosed with breast cancer, and thank God it wasn't terminal. It was still caught within the early stages, but just that their dynamic it was just so sweet and loving and their joking their jokiness i just like that that's like me and my mom you know like my mom is someone that i trust so implicitly but also someone that i can laugh with and share these awkward moments (laughs) there's a couple of scenes in the movie (laughs) you know exactly what i'm talking the butt scene Yeah. yeah so um in the movie, Nai Nai, when she first sees Billy walking through the door, she, like, grabs her butt. She's like, oh, it's so round. It's, like, so firm. And that's, like, something that my mom does with me. She's yeah. like, oh, she, like, kind of, like, reaches down, like, touches my yeah. butt. And she's like, wow. It's just, like, pats it. Like, it's so firm. <laughs> what I'm hearing is, like, 
you see this is maybe like one of the few may, maybe if only like times you've seen your life exactly on screen asian americans can relate to it, but also maybe um like you know those who actually live in asia and yeah. sort of grew up within that sphere can relate to which i think is really interesting yeah. all right gentrification Ooh. hey hey let's let's take the no, I'm not. Hi, my name is Purple. Hey, Purple. Okay. <laughs> when you think gentrification, or when you hear that word, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Displacement. Um, takeover. As both the teacher and the individual, is it like the 50 50? So, yeah, however you take it, however you take it, however you interpret it. Well, I feel like it carves out a space for me to be a part of the city, but I think, in the same sense, that it allows other people that are like me but don't necessarily look like me share that same space but may not have such an inclusive mindset. So even though like, that's where it gets, the lines gets kind of blurred because there are some facets of it where it's like a good thing because it gives business to the communities. It unfortunately improves certain areas of the community because there's power in certain buyers because of like redlining and just like systemic racism in general. Um, and so that's when the mindset that comes with that privilege, um, that's when it kind of gets weird and just like not inclusive. But if people were like more mindful and just educated and just like understand their place of privilege, then it wouldn't be so detrimental to others who actually like brought in the culture and like shaped the community. So that's kind of like how I feel like I am a gentrifier, but I'm not here trying to take over and like claim that this space is mine just because of my buying power. So I, I look at it the same way. I think being a gentrifier, it's a, it's like a twofold. So on one hand is that as a young professional, it benefits me in a way because it allows me to live in a certain community around certain people that are like me but at the same time the bad end is that it displaces people that also look like me that live or lived or want to live in that community so it's just like oh they just built this new high rise in a certain part of the city where it's predominantly a certain group of people and it's just like I want to live there because it makes me feel like home but at the same time i have to think in order for me to live here 
there are people that have been displaced in order for me to feel comfortable and they don't um i definitely agree with you purple that it's also in the lens of the other other people that come in that don't think like oh i want to belong it's just like no i this is my home now um and i guess i think of it in the case of the incident that happened at howard it's just like this is a private institution that take your campus and move it somewhere else take Take my campus. even though i just got here three months ago yes (laughs) like listen you need to hold up this this university has been here for hundreds of years Like, it didn't just pop up a couple of years ago. Like, it's been here. And so I think it's, in that sense, gentrification isn't, it's more hurtful then because you don't try to be inclusive. You're trying to be like, oh, well, I'm here now, so get out. And I'm so glad you brought up that story because the best part of this man is that he looked like the progressive type. Yes. He had sleeve tattoos he had that tank top he just looked like he was just like one of those woke-minded folks but the words that came out i'm like you're just no better than that like white collar man you know working for the government or whatever (laughs) so that was the fascinating part to me even like the the whole incident with the go-go music uh the boost mobile Uh, store even that i mean even that too but um, something I wanted to sort of touch back on was, I mean, I, I initially asked, h- how does gentrification impact, like, what you do, um, who you are every day, like, minus your career, and then also your career. So taking everything that you all have said, now think about it in the p- position as an educator. How do you see it impact our students and or just our schools, our communities? I mean, each one of us. Let me state for the record, we're all women of color. Um, and each of us teach in different areas in, in and around D.C. Um, so I think each one of us has a different perspective on how gentrification Im- has impacted our communities that we teach in. So, Blue, if you want to start off. I teach in Northeast D.C. Um, in a relatively up-and-coming neighborhood. It's near Catholic University. It's like that Brookland area. And um, it's... You know, these homes, you know, they're getting renovated, remodeled, and then, you know, they're, as they're being sold, they're upping the market price. And so it just kind of becomes a little bit more expensive each time a house gets sold. But there is this housing project that I work really close to. Um, It's, it hosts or it houses a couple hundred families, I believe, and it's currently being closed down to make way for new luxury townhouses and which like a very small percentage will be um, allowed for you know like people who make the median or like the minimum income to live in these like section 8 housing homes but the rest of these families a couple hundred families they're being pushed out to live in like places like Paducah County or Southeast DC and so every year Um, our enrollment becomes lower and lower because these families that come from the housing projects, they're, you know, relocating to live in these different parts of D.C. and they're not getting the education that, you know, that we should be giving them, that our school could be giving them. Um, And unfortunately, you know, obviously the housing, the Section 8 housing projects, they're not the most safest, but if additional resources are provided 
through the city to kind of improve and renovate these projects, like, would it really be necessary for these luxury townhouses to be created? I mean, obviously the answer is it's money, right? Like it's, it's all about income, money, you know, since this is a gentrifying neighborhood, we want there to be additional homes for those young families who live in, who work in government. Mm -hmm. But now it's like, you know, my kids are living elsewhere all around the city and these spaces are not really being provided for them anymore. It's being provided for the new young white families. Um, that are coming in. Just single, yeah. single white. Right, right. Yeah. Because they're these homes, these condos that they're building mm -hmm. like one bedrooms. Yeah. Two bedrooms, Studio studios with the intent on, oh, you'll just split it. Right. So mm -hmm. you're not really looking at the price as a whole. Which is why like it doesn't I'm thinking just like compared to like the architect and the people that are investing in it, like, oh, it's actually not that big of a, an expense. Like it's not gonna really devastate the population. It will actually serve them and benefit me because it's a free marketplace. I will say for me, so I teach like Northeast Northwest, not far from Catholic University either. Family is dealing with, we could potentially be displaced at any time. Or we've been displaced due to them building a new housing complex or them being like, oh, I wanna rent going up, definitely. Rent goes up, people are struggling to pay rent. It's an easy way to get people out. And then once I get enough people out, I got 10, 15 people left in the complex. It's just like, oh yeah, we getting ready to tear this down and build something else up. And they build a new high rise and they may reserve spots for those 15 people that were left there. And then everything else is something that they can't afford or people that were displaced can't afford and as you said there goes students their families are gone pg maryland gets a great deal of the people that have been displaced so pg county school numbers are up they got all the students but it's are they servicing them as well because now their classrooms are bigger so as opposed to schools in pg county having 20 25 students they got like 30 35 kids because they're trying to account for the numbers for all the kids that used to live in dc that now have been displaced due to gentrification and that happens there's like two things i want to say to address like as far as like what landlords do that own those buildings and how to get people out of it because they want to sell it or just like have a better investment in it so they can build another high-rise another luxury condo and it's like they lower the standard of living and they don't follow the like housing codes to like force people to like not no longer even have a desire so there was an article or just like a news insert about some like the most affordable like apartment complex in Columbia Heights. And was it, it might have been like Columbia Heights like going towards um, like 16th Street Meridian Park area. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of the residents have been there for years. They were, a lot of the residents have been there for years. They were older and they were taking a stance and they were just trying to like fight the owners and say like, hey, like you're not up to code this is not right, like, we're not going anywhere, so we're gonna force you to make sure that you fix these problems because it's our right. So it's just like, 
it's just kind of sneaky how they try to like weed people out so that they don't feel bad to just like kick them out so that's like another passive way of like essentially trying to just like appeal to like the up-and-coming millennial demographic and then as far as like the workplace for me um, I work in a predominantly African-American community the demographic it, the population is like mostly black at-risk youth um, and I've been like most on favorite is lunch and I've been there for like in this community for about seven years and I don't see that much change as far as like enrollment like it's still the same like wave of students um, but I do see changes as far as like housing and mm. like the downtown area of Anacostia and like how these new like homes are almost a million dollars and yeah yes <laughs> yes and then yes. like Right. Yeah. Really trying to bring um, Anacostia on like the up and up, and it's beautiful right. down there. It really is. It has it a is lot of charm, like historic yes. charm. It's like an ideal place. Like if you go, and it's especially for me, that's how I felt as a young professional coming mm-hmm. here. When I came to Anacostia, I was just like, oh, it's like a black Georgetown. Yeah. That's that's exactly what Anacostia is. It's beautiful. I'm sorry. Oh, no, it's, I mean, but I just feel like with all these, like, new homes and everything, it's still not attainable for the people that's been there for years. Um, And then there's a lot of, like, projects around that area. So, like, Berry Farms is, like, a big one. And Mm -hmm. I heard, like, word on the street, I don't know, it's Kevin Durant. (laughs) Like, he used to play on those courts. Yeah. So, like, there's just a lot of, like, legacy there, too. Yeah. So the fact that they're tearing down that community, like, a lot of people are upset. So I feel like when Berry Farms is completely cleared, that's when I know Anacostia is done. Because mm. that's, like, the last, like, standing community that is, like, for the residents, for the people. Right. And slowly but surely, like, yeah. those doors are closing and boarding them up. Yeah. I, I wanted to bring up something you said about that, that Columbia Heights thing. Yes. How you said how the people were like, you can do all of that, but we're going nowhere. I think the biggest difference is those people were aware and knowledgeable and educated on the fact of what these what these landlords and, and um, property owners are trying right. to do. So I think, I guess my question that I throw up is, um, is it our responsibility? Not responsibility, but um, this is a conversation. Actually, the parent who was texting me right now uh we had a conversation about how um her property the rent is going up she lives in congress heights uh, or just moved to congress heights and we all know that area is like they putting that little practice arena um they're trying to like really make it into the next anacostia like they're trying to build it up more um and she was like miss matt or (laughs) 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 miss yellow Uh, miss yellow yes Ms. Yellow, um, she was like, my rent is going up and I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, how about like maintenance? Is everything being like, are they um, responding to your calls? Like, do things get fixed? No. She was telling me everything that was wrong with her building. And I was like, well, you know what they're trying to do, right? right? And she was like, what? And so we had a conversation about it. And she was pissed. She was like, I 
<laughs> she went home. She's like, I looked up articles on this gentrification stuff, and it's just not happening here. It's everywhere. And so she got fired up about it. Right. So I think, I guess I ask, do you think we should be having these types of conversations, at least something like that in our schools where, like, most of the, the apartment complexes, um, condos and things like that that our students and families live in aren't good like they're not they're not well kept and it's not just because of the people that live there that's not what it is it's they think oh well we're in this community anyway so we're not going to invest in the money to keep this up for a sta- a, a baseline standard of living the baseline is suspect that's right. what i want to know what is the baseline standard for living in general because i feel like even these luxury i don't think anyone knows are like the basics mm-hmm. because before like if you want a penthouse apartment and want to spend like over a million dollars on a home, it came with all these like fixtures and like a pool and like a rooftop, like just, it makes sense. Now it's like, if you just want a rat free home with fresh warm water, (laughs) it's going to be half a million dollars. I'm like, dang. So like what, like, like even some of these newer places, like, shit, you can't even get a light fixture in your living room. Right. Like, I pay sure $1,400 a month, and I still got to plug up a lamp just to have lighting. Like, it's just, what am I paying for right. at that point? Um, like, what right. am I paying for? The land. For? The land. Because they don't care about your condition of living. Because, like, some of these, that's why I stopped, like, renting at um, in row houses because there's a lot of just like things that were going wrong with it or just like the air circulation or just a lot of like mold buildup in the basement or rat like just so much drama and like you know the landlords don't know or they don't care to invest in it the people that have rented from them before like they just are happy with the location right so like they'll make sacrifices and i'm like no that's detrimental to my health so it's just i i don't know i feel like maybe we need to go down to housing authority and like i don't know maybe like write up like a petition see if we can get a new bill passed because i'm just like the standard for living is not conducive for the average working person in washington dc i want to go back to um something yellow said about you know should we should we in our schools have discussions about gentrification and for me i was just like for yellow and purple it's a lot easier for you to have those conversations in your schools because your staff reflects your ethnicity. For me, the student population and the staff, more specifically the staff, your admin, your staff, for me, it is a lot harder because my admin and my staff do not reflect the population that I teach. And so to have that conversation would mean that makes the people that are currently benefiting off of gentrification very vulnerable. And the conversation wouldn't go the same it would in your school. So for me, it would be like, oh, I think we should have a workshop on talking to parents about gentrification. And then like those, it'll be like, uh. So to clarify, she works at a charter school. And in her, in our charter network, a lot of the faces or the people in charge are white women. And these white women, like, they have a lot of control on, like, 
social things and like family relationship events with our students. And in her particular um, location, campus or whatever, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> Girl, it's okay. Hey, this is Yellow just checking in on y'all. Um, wanted to let you know that you are hearing three artists on this podcast underneath these wonderful conversations. First is Repeated Measures, then second is Dirty Merlin, and last is Remy K. This one is by Remy K. It's called Set It Once. You can find all this music on any major streaming service. Check it out. I said it once, I'll say it again. I don't like when you play alpha man. You're too loud and you're too strong. If you knew any better, you would just play your You were doing great. You were doing fantastic. Don't change a thing. Well, because oh, I was yeah, going to say. They're white guilt. That's all it is. White guilt. White guilt. Yeah. Ooh, that could be a whole a series <laughs> um and i mean in all fairness this can be i mean this is a dissertation this is not just one dissertation this is yeah this is a whole <laughs> library full of dissertations on this topic but um to talk to say what you or to elaborate on what you were saying what if it wasn't so much like hey y'all i want to talk about gentrification aka you all fuckers with my families like you don't have to do it like that i think what if it be was like Hey, just right. Know your rights. Know what the baseline should be. Right. Um, and like I know at my school, I wish I could shout it out, but I'm not going to. At my school, we're having um, a workshop for families to know what their rights are in terms of the police. And like, if they're detaining you and they haven't told you X, Y, and Z, then you can go. There's nothing else that they can do, right? But then also being like, uh, but see. This is the problem of being black in America. You, if you know, if you know those three things, and you decide to walk away, there's no guarantee of what's going to happen to you after right. that. So, but I mean, the workshop is like how to deal with police because the relationship between the community and the police is non-existent, or it's just very turbulent and and it and there's reasons for it. You're right. Like, of course. Like this was this is so dumb, but this is like just a case in point. So in near my area, um, where my school is located in Anacostia, like kind of getting towards the Congress Heights, um, there's this horrible intersection where cars wouldn't stop at the stoplight and there's pedestrians that are always on the crosswalk. And so a lot of residents have complained about this uh, intersection needing a stoplight because, and like a, a walk signal because there's just been too many like cases because people really like zoom in those areas and then someone died because someone hit them <laughs> and like after that the police was like okay maybe we need a stoplight so it's like they're very like reactive rather than being, being proactive proactive and that's and that's why there's a distrust because like they don't care and sometimes someone dying is still not enough but it's like they, they've done their due diligence because there's a lot of old residents that live in these communities that are not going anywhere, and they are active. They do, like, uh, go to those meetings, those housing meetings. Like, they're really about that, and no one cares. So it's right. like they need someone of power, a politician, to, like, speak right. for them, back right. them up because, like, the police, they're, 
No, they don't care. And I think (laughs) (laughs) let's just and maybe there's like one or two with the station that do, but like that's not enough. As people always want to say, well, there's some people that care, but not enough. And there's some people, like you said, that know about their rights, but too many don't, or they rely on the old heads in the community, Mm -hmm. like oh, so and so's got it, we're gonna be fine. But what happens when so and so's not here and they didn't transfer that knowledge to the next generation? What do we do? Oh, we get pushed out again into further into PG County and and so on and so forth. That's why um, it's important to have it in the schools, like yes. said, because it's not being passed down. Nope. And then, like, everything starts with education. Oh, so, like, facts, yeah. the reason why, like, people are the way they are is because of the lack of education and the yeah. discipline that's in their community. It could be as something as simple as, like, picking up the trash. Right. Keeping your community clean. If, like, you don't reinforce it as a teacher... If you don't have a parent or an adult like check you on the street as a young one, I like when you get older, are you gonna care to throw your cups in like the grass or in someone's property? No, because no one has ever cared. So it's and that's just picking up trash, littering. That's that's a small thing. So just think of like big things like reading (laughs) or money or like investment. Like, you know, college. <laughs> like, what is college? Or, like, what's the other? It's not college. Like, um, voca- not, what? Oh, vocational. Yeah, vocational school. Like, that. Because we, we do need carpenters. We do need electricians. Like, <laughs> just, like, so, like, so from littering to that, like, if that's just not, like, told information from the jump within the schools or, like, within a household family where there's a constant adult that cares about the child that's around. But see, that, I was thinking, like, that's that's what gentrification is because it t- that's when it takes away that sense of community because of the ongoing change because it depends on, like, the market value. And so it's hard to develop an attachment or to know your neighbors because they change every three months. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or you're the restaurant that you may have your like first date. Or like when I was at Howard, I used to go to Sankofa. There was a lot of memories in that bookstore and events there. And then I heard that they're shutting down. That I used to go to this, I used to be a vegan back in the day. I used to go to this soul veg place. And, you know, this Muslim family, black Muslim family owned it. And they had all, like, the vegan, like, soul food there. And that's gone. So it's, like, it's hard to want to build and invest in your community when it's no longer yours. It doesn't belong to you. And so now I'm thinking, like, well, how does major cities like New York, Jersey, Philly kind of maintain that sense of culture and connection? I think a lot of the people in those, like in New York, they're having the same exact issues of like, oh, Brooklyn's not the Brooklyn it used to be, so on and so forth. So, I'm, I mean, I would argue that they don't maintain it. I think they maintain the the aesthetic of like, ooh, classic, like New York, the place where dreams are made, concrete jungle, all that. They maintain that stuff because that's the stuff that brings people to the city. But in terms of like what keeps them there, they've somehow learned how to finesse, how to, how to, how to do that to keep people there. Well, not necessarily keep them, but want them to keep coming to New York. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs>
<laughs> so, so now I'm thinking of like, so like anthropologists, right? Like the people that curate and design these studies. Mm. Like there, there has to be somebody who thought of this landscape. Mm-hmm. There has to be someone who like thought of these sem- systems and the applications that comes with it. And I'm just trying to understand like, what do they think makes a community? Mm. Like, what do they value? Because it's like something that's going on throughout the fabric of America in every major city mm. where it's becoming less and less brown mm. because of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just like, what what is the goal of a community? What, what do they want? Do they right. want everything to look like, you know, full house? Like, well, it's just like provide. white, bear, right. cis white people, like it's wasp. That's what I'm looking for. <laughs> wasp. Waspy, wa- a waspy town. Yes. Waspy. Or it's the, not necessarily the exact, but the illusion of the American dream, which of course never in its creation included gay people. It never included people of color, whether you're black or brown, red, yellow. It it didn't include us. So the ideal town is you're blue or white collar workers, give or take a little scrape my way to the top people with their like well bit well built families, um, a mom, a dad, kids. Um, well, yeah, that's why the suburbs. Yeah. And, and that's what it is. Like, I feel like that's their ideal look of this is what a community should look like. And because the world has changed so much, that particular American dream is not, it's not what it looks like. It's not appealing. It's not appealing, yeah. But I want it because you come from, like, a community where yeah. people of color are thriving. Mm-hmm. Those are the spaces. So yeah. I want to know, like, just you growing up in a community rich with yeah. your culture and your people like what elements did you see that made it like so strong and have that sense of connection and then after like you say that then I mm-hmm. want to see like well, what do you yeah. think the difference is like with the city here yeah I mean so I grew up in um I grew up in Orange okay I grew up in Orange County which has a high population of Asian Americans and not just sort of like just like not only just like Chinese people, but just like a huge diversity of Indians and just like any, anyone that you can think of, they're probably going to, there's, they're going to, there's going to be a small pocket of space for them. Um, There's going to be communities of them. Um, And one thing that I've really noticed about growing up um, within Orange County is that there's also a presence of grassroots organizations um, and also that really contribute to the businesses of those people of color that live within these communities. So like um, my family, I think you did mention this once before where, you know, like there's a dry clean, there's like a million dry cleaners all over Orange County. And, you know, you kind of make ties with one and you make ties by saying, oh, well, this, she's Korean. She's from, you know, my mom's hometown in, in, in Korea. And so, you know, you kind of make those types of community connections like that and you keep supporting them instead of going to you know like that new gentrified like fusion restaurant across the street Mm -hmm. i mean you can still go (laughs) you can still go (laughs) you can still go but like i'm also going to support the restaurant that um you know 
that my family has known for years because we went to church with them. You know, it's it's just about community ties and really realizing how the richness of your community's fabric is from the people that you live with. And um, also just like realizing that those ties are hugely important to the way in which you grow up and um, how they enrich you as a person. You know, I, as an Asian American, you know, I think I've said this before where I don't feel like, you know, I can go to Korea, but people won't recognize me as being fully Korean. They'll mm. recognize me as being whitewashed. But here, I'm, I will never be seen as a true American, even though I have the education and there's no language barrier for me. So I'm mm. kind of in the middle where I just don't really belong in a singular place. But, you know, this community in Orange County, that's the place where I feel like home because mm. I see people like me who grew up like me, who speak sort of <laughs> the same Konglish as me. <laughs> and um, I feel p at peace. And I know that people in my community will support me as I will support the people in my community. And that is rich. Mm. And that's the community that I've been trying to find here, but can't seem to quite reach. Mm. And for me, like, I mean, obviously gentrification is happening everywhere. It's happening in Koreatown, in Los Angeles. Um, and so that's not something that is just going to be here in DC, but I think that there is something about the sort of lack of community or sort of the lack of closeness. Or maybe like investing in your community. Right, invest. There's not a really a huge investiture in this community, um, which saddens me because there's such a huge, rich history of color yeah, it is the entire story. Yeah. Um, so I think you were talking about, I di it didn't make it to the last podcast. I think I cut it out because mm -hmm. it was a bit of a tangent. But um, I'm, I'm going to just say it. I'm from Diamond Bar, California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, it's exactly what Blue is talking about. Um, it is, I'm, I don't know what it is now, but I'll say when I left, it was like 76% Asian, Asian American. And there's only... I mean, the biggest fuss was the Walmart, like, uh, neighborhood market that went into the city. And everyone was like, we don't want this because it's like, it's not for us. This mm -hmm. is just going to bring people from uh, further places out into the, into the city. And they mm -hmm. do. So we only have, like, three or four, <laughs> right? We only have three or four, um, like, chain places in the city. Everything else is a small business and most if not all are owned by Asian or Asian American people and I think I see exactly what you're talking about when people invest in their community there's a greater care there's a greater passion there's a um, yeah like you said even though I wasn't Asian myself I felt like a part of the community not really not fully that's a whole nother other discussion <laughs> sense of belonging white <laughs> do <laughs> you gotta take what you can get <laughs> what do you what's the one thing people are most misinformed about in terms of gentrification that they are not gent uh, gentrifier themselves that's, yes that's they that's are the not <laughs> gentrifiers themselves um that it's for the good of the community because 
the good is um, subjective because is what's your definition of good and who is the person that defines that? I would say that. Blue. I mean, I feel like most of the time it's always just going to be, oh, you know, like people who gentrification brings in small businesses and small businesses are good for the community. But it's like, well, no, not always. If the business, um, right. And you're just displacing and if you're just displacing, you know, another business that was already there and had concrete roots, then, you know, what's your purpose? You know? Um, I was just going to say, um, I think people get wrong about, uh, they think that, okay, we're supporting, this is, um, this new wave, it's supporting small businesses, but think about the people who purchased the land, who was buying this land, what are their intentions? Um, because I think they just think it's just like this magical thing, like, oh, now we have these, you know, this cute coffee shop and like boutique shop now. No, somebody strategically thought about what businesses were going to go there, what their intention and vision is for the entire community, and if, whether that's healthy and thriving for everybody. <laughs> no, I say Whole, Whole Foods is a sign. Yeah. That's the sign. It's over. It's a wrap. My or a bus, here, a bus boys and poets, right? <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. that's official. Yeah. I think that's official. That's a sign. <laughs> but my biggest thing is just, like, the people um, who don't value the culture that was here before them because of income so it's like once people like add a price to you and determine like your value then that's when they'll like determine how much they want to empathize with you so that's like the biggest thing because like at my gym there's a lot of gentrification going on and one of the coaches commented that he was happy that they tore down a bunch of homes because he said it was ugly to look at. And, but see, he's not taking an account of the history, the people, the families. And I like thought like that for a split second in my apartment because like my look, my view wasn't aesthetically pleasing. Yeah. And then like my husband was about to smack me. <laughs> For me even having those thoughts and I'm so glad like he like shook me because I kind of was drinking that gentrification like Kool-Aid yeah. and then one day I was like riding my bike around that area and it's like a thriving community with so many children playing and building memories so it's like don't overlook that based off of like income and I think that's our problem we don't see people until they have money. So that's why gentrification is like a great thing because yeah, yeah. <laughs> we don't even see the people that was there. <laughs>